Hello, my name is Karina Ricker, and I am the Reference and Government Information Librarian here at the University of Albany. Welcome to the first ever episode of Librarians with Latte, a podcast dedicated to being informed, reading, and staying caffeinated. As always, we are being recorded live right here in the President's Reading Room, located on the second floor of the University Library. Today on the hot seat is Amanda Lowe. Amanda is our Outreach and Marketing Librarian. Amanda, welcome to the first episode ever. Hello, Karina. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. good. Can't complain. Good. And I see you've got a caffeinated drink in front of you. What is that? Um, it has chocolate in it. Uh, it's the salted caramel mocha. I got it from the new Starbucks on campus. Oh, it sounds delicious. It is pretty good. You can't go wrong with salt and caramel. No, it's a fall drink. Yeah. So. <laughs> good. Good. So, Amanda, we're here to talk about banned books. Why is it important to talk about banned books? Well, I think it's a, a issue that we need to make sure we're staying on top of. Censorship is a big issue when it comes to banned books. It's something that's still happening here in the United States. And a lot of people don't realize it. I remember having talks with students because uh, we try to have events every year. And they don't know that books are challenged or banned here in the United States or even globally. So I think it's important to keep the conversation alive uh, and continue that conversation with our students here and people you see on the street. I, I believe that I'm an intellectual freedom fighter. So it, it's really important to continue that conversation. So if the general public is not hearing about banned books and censorship, how are you hearing about it? Well, as a librarian, um, there is the, uh, the Office of Intellectual Freedom. When I was in grad school, we would talk about censorship a lot. And when I was even in school, I remember having these issues. Since a lot, a lot of these censorship and ban issues actually happen with young adult books or children's books. I remember being in the sixth grade, I believe, and there was a book called When Dad Killed Mom. Mm. And there was a pretty risque scene in there where a girl was self-exploring with a mirror and looking at her vagina. And I thought that was a really cool scene in the book. So I was sharing that with all of my friends. They had to read this passage, you read this book. Parents found out about it. They weren't too happy that it was available to their kids in the library. And there was a big stink about it to where people were going to the school board and being like, why do we have this in our library? Where is it? Why is there a need for it? And I remember being like, why, why is this an issue? I mean, you know, it's, you should be talking to you know your kids about this. I mean, this is my mind thinking back on it. Maybe so maybe it's a little skewed, but I remember making a big deal about it. Like there's no need for you to get rid of this book. It's not hurting anyone. And I remember my mom also sticking up for me for it. Oh great! They uh, they kept it in the library. So it was like my first like one of my first forays into this whole. We're trying to take something out because we don't agree with it or we think it's harmful. So that's how I kind of learned about censorship and then I continue learning about it in college. Why I'm still an advocate for, you know, making people aware that this is an issue that we're facing currently. So you've had real personal experience with it. Yeah. You know, even beyond that instance, I remember also being, I think it was sixth grade. Sixth grade was apparently a big year for me. <laughs> and I was sitting in a classroom with another student who happened to be a friend of mine and I was really big into Harry Potter, still am, um, and as we know, or we may not know, Harry Potter is banned or challenged in a lot of areas throughout the United States and globally because of the perceived uh, occult in it, witchcraft and wizardry. My friend was very religious, and she told me that because I was reading this book, I was going to go to hell. And I was so taken aback, I was so upset, 
I remember going home and crying, and my mom was like, why are you crying? And I'm like, my friend told me I was going to hell for reading Harry Potter. Aww. So, you know, there's stuff like that, too. So it's, it's not just parents saying, no, you shouldn't be reading that because I don't agree with the values that are in it. It's then your peers, too, that hear these things from their parents and then think, well, if they think it, it must be correct. And, you know, they're going to side with their parents on it. And so, I mean, some of that thing is hard to fix because you know, that's the values that are being instilled from their parents, so. But it can be hurtful, yeah. um, because we shouldn't be censoring ideas either, mm -hmm. things we don't agree with. Well, so it's interesting, you caused some trouble there, taking <laughs> things to, but it was good trouble you caused. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it shed light on um, an issue, and who knows, there could be other books that were in the library that could face the same issue, and now it's on the school's radar, but you know, there are gonna be things we disagree on, but we shouldn't be censoring them. And it's really interesting because maybe 15 years from now, those two books you mentioned will just mean nothing to anybody. In preparation for this talk we were having, I went and read something from 1970s yeah. um, that I had read back then when I was 12 years old, and it's called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom. And that was one of those books that caused quite a stir. And I read it last night, and I'm like, what? What was that all about then? So you know, we might find that uh, later on with Harry Potter. I hope we will. Oh, yeah. I, I certainly hope so. And I think you know, ALA, the American Library Association, has running lists of like the top 100 books banned like, through the, like, um, a decade and or a century, something like that. It's on there if you go to their website or Intellectual Freedom, you'll find uh, those lists. Um, but they come out with a list every year, too. And this, the book that you just mentioned, hasn't appeared in a long time. Yay. So I'm, I'm very um, happy for that. I think it's an issue more people tend to be uh, comfortable talking about now, which is great. Though I'm sure there are some, there's a place somewhere that still has an issue with this book. Uh, it's unfortunate, but I'm sure that it's occurring. So I've heard words like challenge, banned, or censoring. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the difference between those? So censoring is when we're omitting parts of books. It could be, um, censoring can mean a couple different things. So when we remove books, that can be a form of censorship. And when we omit parts of books, that can be censorship as well. When we're banning books, we're taking them out completely, which is a form of censorship where we're, we're taking them out. Uh, challenge is when someone lobbies like, with a formal complaint about a book. Now, it doesn't mean the book has been banned, it just means that a challenge has been brought up against it to remove it from a place, whether that be an academic library, a school library. Uh, it's usually a library, though this has occurred uh, in bookstores to uh, prohibit them from selling the material as well. Well, does the University of Albany libraries ban books? Not to my knowledge. <laughs> I, I think uh, the, the folks that make the selections for our books are subject librarians. They take into account a couple different things when they're looking uh, at purchasing books. Uh, usually if it's going to be relevant to what's being taught here at the university, does it fit with our core collection. Each library usually has a collection development policy, but I, I don't think that we're censoring or uh, choosing not to, to purchase books based on our own personal beliefs. It's a tenet of librarianship not to do that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no, I don't think any censorship is going on in our libraries. Oh, good. I've been here a long time. I've been here close to 35 years. And when I first came here and we had that uh, periodicals, uh, we had so many more print periodicals yeah. back then, we had magazines such as Playboy. And really? Yeah. 
for the articles, <laughs> but they, it was kept behind the help desk in the periodicals room and people had to ask for it. I don't think that was a matter of censorship. I think that was a matter of keeping track of where they were going and making sure they got returned. I think it was also maybe a vandalism issue too? Yes, I do yeah. think it was. <laughs> yeah, it, some of that, um, it's hard because you mentioned keeping it behind a desk. Now, there are things going on now where uh, parents will, will ask, and this is happening with um, a lot of current children's books like I Am Jazz, which is on the, the, the 2016 list of most challenged books this, this past year. It's a children's book about uh, a transgender individual, her life, uh, she wrote with her father, and parents are asking that they keep that behind the desk. And if people want it, they can ask for it, but they don't want it where their children can have access to it. And that is a form of censorship if you're doing it in that capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and I find issue to that because some of these books deal with issues that you know children you know might be going through themselves. It's something they can go get more like education for themselves on. Um, and now you're putting it where they don't have ready access to it. So that, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. So do you see any validity to censorship based on age? I don't. I think that it's basically an exercise in futility and privilege to deny anyone, no matter what their age is, of content. And since we are seeing one of these challenges in, in these kind of books that deal with gender issues and sexual orientation, I mean, that's, that's harmful. A lot of times, you know, there could be seven and eight-year-olds that are dealing with, you know, feelings of, you know, what we call new gender dysphoria, feeling that they, they aren't you know, assigned to the, the gender that they were born with. And, and that's harmful that they don't have access to these materials when they're going to a public library or a public space and they can find these materials on their own. So I, I don't think we should be uh, censoring just based on age. Now, sexually explicit things like Playboy maybe kids didn't have access to. Um, there is, I think, you know, somewhere where age does matter. That's why we have ratings on films. So, I mean, there, there is a line, but you know, it's kind of a gray area sometimes, but definitely this kind of stuff that we see these challenges on, no way. Well, what would you say to a parent who feels that they need to protect their child from content that they might think is harmful or maybe is offensive to the parent? Uh, I would say that's their prerogative um, and that's for their own child. You can't dictate what other parents allow their children to see that's, that's not their right to do that. And a lot of times, too, if it's a challenge at a school or at a library, I mean, even here, if someone came in and said something was offensive to them, we could give them a form. The, uh, the Office of Intellectual Freedom has forms that you can give out for people that challenge things. I would hand that parent a form and be like, you can fill it out, lobby a complaint. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times when you ask people to fill something out, they're not going to do it. They just want to be heard. They want to feel like they're being heard. So I would just be like, monitor your child. You can fill out this form. If you don't want them reading it, don't let them check it out. Mm -hmm. So you've spoken a little bit about sexuality and gender issues. What other reasons have you noticed uh, that censorship takes place? Oh, let's see. I have the list from uh, the top 10 for 2016. So I'm just going to give you some of the reasons that they have been giving. Obviously, LGBT characters uh, have been a bigger issue in the past couple of years, and even though we're more open now, it's still a very prevalent reason to challenge something. Uh, there's drug use and profanity, um, things that people consider sexually explicit or mature themes. I mentioned the occult earlier. Um, 
sexual experimentation, which would also maybe fit in with uh, some of the LGBT issues. Let's see, child sexual allegations, that's, that's uh, crimes, that's referencing specifically the Little Bill series, because Bill Cosby was uh, involved in all those okay, gotcha. sex crimes or allegations. Offensive language, again, is another one. Those tend to be the reoccurring ones. Uh, if you look further back, racism was a big one. Mm -hmm. Things like How to Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. um, Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn. You had more occult uh, things mentioned, but usually it's that profanity, the sexual explicit uh, nature of the content, drugs, anything that's including those kind of issues all encompassing. The one that comes up frequently, and again, it has to do a lot with homosexuality, is uh, things that go against family values, traditional family values, which could be pretty all-encompassing, uh, depending on what your family values are, but usually that's in reference to homosexuality. Mm -hmm. So just to be clarified for me, you said the Little, little Bill series? Yeah. The, those books aren't about uh, sexual abuse. No. They're more concerned with who authored the books yes. or produced them. Which is them. interesting because I don't think that I recall seeing on the list uh, any previous list that being an issue. No one ever had a problem with the Little Bill series previous to this. Little Bill was actually a Nick Jr. TV series as well, but because I think Bill Cosby was under a lot of heat for just because of what had occurred that the whole case to where people were canceling you know, his visits to universities too. So it was a big deal and it affected people wanting his material in, in, in their libraries. So you hear a lot about self-censoring. Can you tell me what that is and uh, do people need to avoid it? I, I think so. A lot of times self-censoring self is when we go out of our way to make books that we don't agree with, that have themes we don't agree with, unavailable to other people. Um, now there are, uh, I remember being in grad school and um, my professor, uh, Dr. Valerie Nesset, she was telling a story about uh, a public library that had Harlequin romance novels. The librarian uh, there thought that they were kind of trashy and had no place, kind of like an elitist attitude of what's considered good literature, and they had no place in the library and uh, that they were going to get rid of them. Now there was a homeless individual that would come in every day and read those Harlequin romance novels as a form of escapism, a place to come in, be warm, be safe, and read uh, these novels to kind of escape. And they were going to get rid of them. And there was this patron that had a need for them. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, to move them or get rid of them or put them on a higher shelf where they can't be found, that's a form of self-censorship. You never know what a material means to someone else or why they would need access to it, whether it be differing worldviews. I tell people, my example all the time is just because I don't agree with something that maybe Ann Coulter would say would not, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to get rid of it in my library. There should be, there's a, there's a wonderful quote that says, um, there should be something in a library to offend everyone. <laughs> so it's, it's the marketplace of ideas, and just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you should stop anyone else from reading them. Now, I would also like to preface the difference between hate speech and, you know, just a marketplace of ideas and people sharing them. Hate speech, I do believe, has no place anywhere. So are you saying that this concept of self-censoring is particularly practiced by librarians? It's something that can be. Um, okay. Though, you know, if I'm, you know, actually, you know, my home library, like I pick and choose what I want. So it's, it's my place for my own ideas. But yeah, uh, libraries, uh, anyone, anywhere where you can get books, really, or music or film. Like if I'm 
actively choosing not to place something, even if it fits the policies under which I'm purchasing things or having things out in my store, I am practicing self-censoring. Um, so it, it's more than just librarians. It could be okay. people who uh, own stores, too, and, and just choose not to And this could be, could, could be done quite unconsciously yeah. or uh, under the belief that you're actually doing your job. Oh, absolutely. You know, in my mind, I could be, I could say, you know, I find this book harmful. Um, someone bought it, we have it. I can't, you know, get rid of it. So I'm going to move it to where no one's going to find it. That's, uh, <laughs> that's self-censoring too. Yeah. Like if, if, you know, there's, you know, it happens in libraries all the time, especially if you're a massive size. If you don't shelve a book correctly, it's gone forever, especially here. But I mean, I don't think it's because we're trying to self-censor anything. I just think it's because this place is massive. But if you're actively moving something and misshelving it in a place where it's not supposed to be because you don't agree with the content and don't want anyone to read it, that's, that's censoring. And you shouldn't be doing that. And this idea of delivering services uh, with objectivity also is happening behind the scenes in libraries. I used to be a cataloger. And we would get things come through all the time. Well, I shouldn't say all the time. Uh, we'd get things, came, uh, books and serials that would come through that we would have to be assigning subject headings to. And if you looked at the content, perhaps it was Holocaust denying, we would have to make sure that the subject headings we assigned were, uh, were uh, objective and didn't have a twist on what our personal opinion was on the book content. Yeah, so it does go you know, both ways on yeah. how to find things. And I don't think a lot of people that come to libraries necessarily realize that. It's not something that they think about. It's not something they think anyone would necessarily ever do. And most of the time when you're looking for material for yourself, that doesn't cross your mind either. So unless you, you have a prejudice or something like that. And you're like, well, also, <laughs> if you're a scholar on the yeah. Holocaust and you see there's a book like that in the library, it would be hard to think about what the purpose of having the book is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we should be showcasing both sides of, a, of an issue. It's not one-sided. Most things aren't white or black. They're black and white, you know? And yet the impression I get from subject librarians is um, that the sort of selection they do is based on scholarly content and uh, the amount of research that's put into it. And yeah. That the, the, uh, the resources that the research is uh, referencing is coming from a scientific, uh, academic point of view. And it's interesting, for academic libraries, because we tend to be a bit more selective on that end of things, but for public libraries, it's completely different. They're not necessarily looking at that set of criteria mm -hmm. for choosing things. But we also have to look at kind of what we, the, to use a library jargony kind of term, it's like um, patron-driven acquisitions. So if patrons are our users, are our clientele here, are you are asking for a, a certain book and we keep on asking for it we might want to consider purchasing it um, because it's something that they want uh, that was a big deal um, even in academia when 50 shades was really big we had people asking whether we had 50 shades mm -hmm. and this of course was before I, I came to Albany I was a grad student at UB and I remember getting a bunch of interlibrary loan requests for Fifty Shades of Grey because we did not own it. And we were like, we're an academic institution, there's no need for us to have this. But, you know, people come to academic libraries to find leisurely reading material too, so maybe we should have. 
I think the justification for not purchasing it then was it would go missing and you would have stolen copies. Mm -hmm. But public libraries had to deal with that too. They had all kinds of weird things happening um, with those <laughs> books. Um, I think there was an article a while back that said there were they would come back with certain I want to say germs, but there's another word. <laughs> there's another word. I'm, I'm self-censoring right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> some bodily fluids right. um, that weren't appropriate on the books, which is pretty gross. Um, so maybe we're worried about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at the top of our interview, you uh, referred to the global community. Can you say more about censorship? Yeah. So. This is something that's not just an issue here uh, in the United States. It's actually more of an issue across the world than it is here. We deal with a lot more challenges and bans, but in places like China, they, um, you know, they restrict IP addresses based on what the government wants you to view. They had uh, a ban on a film called, uh, oh, what was it? Um, oh, it might come to me later, but. Uh, they would ban films. They ban music. They're very restrictive to what you can, you can, what content you can have. Um, in Russia, and this is something that happened recently. Shades of Magic series author uh, Victoria Schwab. She has an excellent series out. This is my reader advisory for everyone right now. Go out and read uh, the Shades of Magic series. There was a Russia, a Russian publishing house that wanted to publish her books. She said yes. They were different from, I believe she publishes under Tor. And they changed content, and this is illegal, uh, they changed content in there that had to do with a queer relationship. Because, you know, right now, if you're following, you know, current events in Russia, they're very anti-homosexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, so they changed that without letting her know. She was very... Wow. upset about that. Um, that's a form of censorship. Um, just again because the country of Russia doesn't agree with homosexuality or mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin or whoever it is, mm -hmm. um, you can't just go and change an author's content, censor portions, uh, large portions of a book uh, because it's offensive to you or the people of your country. Did um, you say she's Russian? She is not. She okay. is a U.S. author and she had agreed to let them publish her book in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that happened. That was makes you wonder why they wanted to publish it. Exactly. Um, I mean, if you're, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big part of the book. I think in the, the second book uh, and the third book, and you know, they they went ahead and they changed things. Is the series for young adults? Um, it's more of an adult series. Okay. Uh, she does publish for young adults though, but this was her adult uh, fantasy series, so there are some adult themes in it. But I think a young adult could probably read it. So to finish up, uh, can you tell me why the idea of freedom to read is important to you? Yes, I can. <laughs> you should be able to read whatever you want. If you're interested in, you know, Sharknados, you should be able to read about that. <laughs> if you want to read more about Sarah Palin in Russia, you, you should read about that and how she could see Russia from her from her house. You should be able to read about whatever you want. No one should stop you. Uh, reading is power, reading is knowledge, and, and it's beyond reading. Uh, it's, you know, music, uh, it's film, it's anything that anyone could tell you you can't watch or take in, you know, you should be feel empowered to take in any one content that you, you feel you, you want you want to. So to me, that's why the freedom to read is so important. Thank you. Thanks for talking with me, Amanda. It's been really interesting. Thanks, Karina. That's all the time we have left for today. 
From all of us here at the University at Albany Libraries, we thank you, Amanda, for being on our first episode of Librarians with Lattes, a podcast dedicated to being informed, reading, and staying caffeinated. Thank you to all our listeners, and remember to read. Read as if the future depends on it, because it does. Thank you.